welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Church Podcast. Stay tuned for today's sermon. Enjoy, and God bless. Ooh, ladies, how are you? I want to know if you're ready for the word, because I got one. You ready? Yes. little housekeeping here. Okay. I spilt the flowers. Okay. Woo! Is everybody good? I'm about to explode. Someone looked at me and said, Whoa, it's electric in there. I feel it. Do you feel it? Something really quick. Leanne, I'll take those really fast. Okay. Just a quick housekeeping, really, really fast. South Huntsville Campus. Woo! God's doing something great. Hey, some of the ladies asked me to pre- please bring these back for winning women. What are these? I have four stakes. Hey, Lisa. She was not supposed to be here tonight. I'm so glad you're here. Okay, so some of the ladies wanted to prophesy, which is what we did a few uh, Sundays ago. Prophesy over South Huntsville campus. I want you to prophesy, okay? What does his word say about this work? So I have brought four. They're going to be in the fellowship, in the uh, foyer with Sharpies, and I want you to have your way. What is he saying about that campus? Amen? Amen. We're super excited. We're going to uh, drive those deep within the next few weeks. Amen? Amen? We are taking authority over that property. And that's the end of the story. Okay, amen? Well, the Old Testament, it is filled with strong women. We find Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Abigail, Deborah, Hannah, Huldah, Jael, Leah, Martha, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Miriam, Naomi, Penina, Ruth, Sarah, Tabitha, shall I go on? Strong women. And when we read their stories, I like to present them to you in such a way that when I'm finished, you become their BFF. You're celebrating their life. You cry when they cry. You dance when they dance. You win when they win. That's the way we should be reading the word, amen? Well, tonight I want to talk to you about two powerful women that you probably don't know a thing about. Well, I'll ask you and then you tell me, okay? I didn't know much about them. I will be teaching tonight from Exodus 1. This chapter explains the background to Moses' birth. It begins with a flashback to the end of Genesis. And it's mentioning Jacob's, watch this, Jacob's family arriving in Egypt. Okay? Something very important right here. If you take a look at what I just read to you, or what I'm about to read to you in Exodus 1, you're going to see the same Story. So what happens in Genesis is it says, these are the people that went into Egypt. Now what I'm about to read to you says, these are the sons of the ones that went into Egypt. 
okay? Very important. Why is it written that way? I believe it is written that way so that we understand that what God is doing, we're about to see it played out at the next level, okay? So there's a reason they're connected and he wants you to see that. So a tremendous shift has happened. Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come right now. Sir, I ask you to sit down in this sanctuary. I ask you to cause the atmosphere to be conducive to learning tonight. Sir, I ask you to come. I ask you to teach us. Have your way in this place. Hide me behind your anointing. And I pray, sir, that your word would be heard and not my own. Come. And touch your daughters tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Exodus 1, 1 says this. These are the names of the sons, okay, of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each with his household. There was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all the generations. Don't miss that, okay? Now, several biblical books begin with genealogy or end with genealogy. It is a reflection of the important Ancient, watch this, of the importance ancient Israelites placed on being able to trace their lineage. Very important. Not only their lineage, but what are you doing? What are you supposed to be doing? Your name's connected to that, okay? In Exodus 1, I also believe that there's another reason. It is to be sure that we understand that Exodus is a continuation of Genesis, Very important. Okay, verse 7 says, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Here we are witnessing the fulfillment of the creation command. The Hebrew population was exploding. And I love the Hebrew text. It puts it like this. Watch this. The Israelites grew. They were fruitful, they swarmed, they increased, they got more powerful, more and more and more, and the land was filled with them. They need you to understand the magnitude of the growth, okay? Four times it says the same thing, okay? Now, the author of Exodus, he wants to make sure you get it, and that would be Moses, right? All right, they're growing, and it was a threat, That's very important right here. Egypt had enemies boarding them, bordering them. It's one thing to defend from the outside attack, but it's another thing to have to defend from the interior walls. When you're at Starbucks with your girlfriends, you don't expect to have to have a sword in your hand or a bow and arrow. That should be a safe place. You don't expect to have to fight your sphere. Do you understand what's happening? The folks that supported you and the folks that you trusted with the place that God had you in last year, 
they may not be safe this year. They may not be safe this year. So how could growth, which was a blessing from God, and it was prophesied, how can it cause them so much trouble? Well, you know, your obedience will oftentimes punish someone's disobedience. Your obedience will oftentimes punish someone else's disobedience. In a fallen world, the blessings of God are often so in conflict with the corruptness that has us surrounded in this culture that the blessings function as a threat to those people that are not aligned with the will of God. You walk into a room and you didn't even do anything, but it is the threat of who you are. That's a problem. It's the threat of who you are because they're out of aligned with the will of God. Have you, been, have you ever experienced what I'm talking about? Good. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. Verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Why would they tell us who did not know, he did not know Joseph? Well, I'm going to tell you. It means he didn't know a thing about Joseph. And if he did, he wasn't going to change what he was going to do. That's what it means. Even if he knew about him, it wasn't going to impact what he was going to do. He was not impressed. Let's put it that way, okay? It wasn't going to change him. Verse 9 said, and he said to his people, behold, anytime you're reading the word of God and you see the word behold, you need to stop. Because that word behold, I don't care where it is throughout the Bible. If you see that word, let me tell you what it says. Stop and listen because what I'm about to say is so powerful and you cannot miss it. Whew, don't just read over that word. It's powerful. Let me tell you what he said. He said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. He said, I mean it. They're too big. They're too mighty. We can't handle it. Verse 10. Did I tell you that the message, where's my graphic? <laughs> the title of my message Who's squatting near your stool? Isn't that sweet? Isn't that a great graphic? Thank you, Aaron. Well, my message is not sweet. <laughs> the, the graphic's great. My message is not sweet like that. So here we go. Okay, he didn't know. Okay, verse 10. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. This is the first instance of anti-Semitism. It is. The Jews are too, too dangerous to keep, and they're too important to let them go. So Pharaoh comes up with a solution. Then we will shackle them. Can't let them go. Don't really want them, so we're going to shackle them. You know, sometimes the enemy shackles us, but sometimes we shackle ourselves. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities Python and Ramses. I just now learned to pronounce that. It's Ramses. But anyway, a taskmaster master is a technical term for a slave master. 
Mm. These are Egyptian slave drivers. And that is also mentioned in Exodus 5. These men were brutal. These men used whips and sticks, and they used them on the Israelites. It was brutal. Their job was to afflict the Jews with heavy burdens. The word here for afflict is humiliate. It is to humiliate them. Watch this. Causing them to feel dependent on them. Have you ever experienced that? Causing you to feel dependent on them. It means to crush their spirit. Their job was to break them. By the way, most public buildings or royal buildings in ancient Egypt had a plaque on them. And this is what the inscription said. No free citizen has been engaged in this project. This is no joke what I'm talking about. No free citizen has done this labor. Like that's something to celebrate. Something very important that I want to point out in verse 10. It says, come let us deal with them shrewdly lest they multiply. Pharaoh's goal was to cause them to be so exhausted to to break them down to the point that they would not reproduce. He thought that he, if he could push them to exhaustion and break their spirit, that they would go home and stop reproducing. You following me? There was no vitamin B6, ladies. He thought that he could break them so that they would no longer function. Verse 12, but the more they were oppressed or mistreated... By physical abuse and humiliation, the more they multiplied. Let me tell you something. When God speaks a thing, it doesn't matter what man has to say about it. It doesn't matter what they show up and do to you. Because I'm telling you, they will have to bow if God has something to say about it. So he said, Pharaoh said, oh, we're going to break them down, all right. And that's going to fix it. And they're like, "Mm mm-mm, because God said that this would happen. And so it did. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter or miserable with hard service and mortar and brick. That's, that's really hard labor, ladies, okay? And in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Okay, now that was your history lesson. Now I want to get to what I'm going to talk about tonight. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other was named Pua. Do you know them? Most people don't. Shifra and Pua. S-H-I-P-H-R-A-H. Pua. P-U-A-H. Shifra and Pua. Now, they were probably senior midwives or leaders. This culture honored age. 
And there is evidence that these two women were older, and I'm going to show, that, show you that in just a moment. What are the duties of a midwife? Babies. Ezra 16.4 describes some of their duties. Cutting the umbilical cord, washing the infant in water, rubbing it with salt, and wrapping it in swaddling cloths. I want to show you something very important here. There is a consistent pattern throughout the Old Testament with Israelites when they are dealing with non-Israelites. Did you hear me? Israelites dealing with non-Israelites. They were often referred to as Hebrews. Don't miss this. I'm talking about Israelites and non-Israelites. When I talk about Israelites, you're probably going to be quick to say Hebrew. That's not what was happening. Watch this. Did that just go right over you with me? Okay. When Israelites are dealing with non-Israelites, they are referred to as Hebrews. Which is a more broadly generic term. This leaves open the possibility that these two women were not Jewish. But wait a minute. You said they were Hebrew midwives. I surely did. But that's a generic term. They did not call them Israelite midwives. You've got to watch the words. This would solve the question of why the king ever expected them to kill the Jewish children because they weren't Jewish. Okay? What, are y'all awake? Okay. There's so much going on. Here's the other part. Betty, their names, their Hebrew names. Here's what Pharaoh said to the ladies. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill them. If it is a daughter, they shall live. The reason they wanted to kill the male boys was because of the military threat. You see, women were not a military threat. Well, I'm convinced it's because they hadn't met any of the women in this room. <laughs> Amen. I want to talk to you about birth stools. They were low. See, these are cute when you think of that. You know, if you Google birthing stools, they don't look like what I'm about to describe to you because they were different. Now, in this period of time that I'm talking about, let me tell you what a birth stool looked like. They were two large stones. We're live. <laughs> Did y'all hear what I said? Okay. One for each side. Okay. Two birthing stones, one for each cheek. Not this. They didn't have this. They had two large stones. All right. Now, the midwives squatted beside the woman. The birth... One on each side. And the midwife squatted down at her feet. 
Mm. This allowed her to discover the sex of the baby before the mother did. The mother couldn't see the baby. The midwife saw the baby first. Very important. Watch, watch, watch the purpose of that. You ready? I know. I gasped too. Now, we have two sets of theologians, and I want to talk about what they believe about this. The first set believe, everybody breathe. I'm about to give you a bomb. Okay, you ready? The first set believe that the midwives were down, down low, getting ready to get the baby. And once they determined that it was male, the parents did not know yet, but they knew that it was a male. They were squatting near the stool that they would literally take their hands and suffocate the child before the, the mother ever saw it. And that's how the male babies were done away with. The mother didn't know. She didn't know because she couldn't see the baby. That's brutal. Now, this is what Pharaoh is asking these two women to do. And then there's another camp of theologians, and this is what they believe. They believe that there is evidence that the stones were connected to troughs, which would run into the Nile. So all of the afterbirth, I'm sorry if there's little ones, but all of the afterbirth would hit the trough, run into the Nile, and it would be over. Now, when they looked at the child and they saw that the child was a baby, oops, and into the Nile, and that was the end of the story. It's full of crocodiles. Do you remember the Nile? Oops. Girls, you better know who's squatting at your stool. The Nile served as the nation's source of water and therefore wealth. But like many rivers, it also served as the nation's sewer. But there would be no cleanup, you see. It's over. This is serious. Pharaoh didn't understand who he was messing with. He didn't understand these two women. But let me tell you something. They feared God and I'm going to prove it. They asked to kill the very babies that they had laid their hands on the mama and they had felt the heartbeat. They had turned those babies in utero so that they might have a healthy delivery. They looked into the eyes of the young mom. Some of those 10, 11, 12 years old did not have their mothers with them. They were terrified. They looked into the eyes of the older women who had lost children. And they prayed that the skill set that these midwives had would help them deliver a healthy child. Oh, the hope in the eyes of these midwives. Yet Pharaoh looks them in the eyes and he said, if they are male, then do away with them.
you better know who's squatting at your stool. Do they have the skill set? Do they have the experience? Are they trained? Are they planted in your life to nurture destiny? Or are they there to kill it? But there's a very important nugget here that we cannot miss about the birth stool. It's used one more time in scripture. And it is used in Jeremiah 18.3. The same word. Guess what the same word is for birth stool? Potter's wheel. You better know when that baby is being creative when... Birth wheel, potter's wheel, birth stone, birthing stool, potter's wheel. There's two stones on the potter's wheel. There's two stones. You better know who is allowing, who you are allowing to assist in the creative process of your destiny. Whose hands, whose input? Are you allowing to shape what is about to be birthed? Man, that's a word. That's a word right there. Who are you allowing to shape what God's God's trying to get through you? Remember a few minutes ago when I talked about you should not have to show up with a sword at Starbucks? You better know who's squatting at your stool. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Sometimes you have to stand up for what is right, regardless of what might happen. This right here is where the rubber meets the road. We're told that the midwives feared God. To fear him does not mean being afraid of him. It means being afraid of the consequences for your disobedience to him. That's what it means. Fearing the consequences of disobeying him. It is God Almighty that I'm talking about. We have to surround ourselves with people who fear God, don't we? Amen. Exodus 12, 37 reports that when the Jewish people left Egypt, there were 600,000 men. 600,000 men plus women and children, a total of at least 2 million people. Many of these were saved because a team of midwives who feared God. 2 million people we're talking about. These two women who feared God, feared God, but yet weak. Do you think you can fear God and yet still be weak? Well, let me show you. I think you can. Verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And why have you let these children live? Why have you done this? I believe that this is the first incident of civil disobedience in history. These ladies risked their lives and are never mentioned again. In the scripture. 
they saved an entire generation of Israelites and are never mentioned again. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. First of all, before I even go to the rest of that verse, that tells me that these two women are not only midwives, midwives to the Egyptian women also. How do you know that? Because they, how could they compare it if they didn't know? So they're midwives to the Hebrew women and also to the Egyptian women. Okay? They had to know, they had to be, all right? The midwives were busy. Now, if midwives could see 10 births a week, that's 500 per year. That would mean two midwives might be able to attend 1,000 births a year. Now, if you remember, the scripture says that they were spread out. So if they're spread out, you're not knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. No, it says they're spread out. you got to get to them. How long is it going to take to get to, to them? There's no cell phones. How do you even know when to show up? So Pharaoh says, why are you not handling this? And the lady said, oh, they're not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They are delivering these babies. They don't even need us. Well, you see, God had a plan. So what do you do when you are instructed to go against God's word? What do you do with that? This is where they were, their authority, okay? You may tell you how you know. Who you fear will determine what you do. When the chips are down and you are being instructed to go against what God said, who you fear is your answer. If you fear man, you will turn away from God right there and you will follow what man is telling you because of a paycheck. (laughs) Moving on. Verse 20. So God dealt, oh, this is so good. God dealt with the midwives. Watch this. It says he dealt well with the midwives. Girls. Verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew strong. The word dealt, I love words. It means this. And God blessed the midwives. He dealt well. He blessed them. And it says, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. It literally means this. And he made for them houses. Well, in Hebrew, the word for house is not house. The word for house is household and family. He gave them families. Well, something you may not know about a midwife. They were typically barren. That is the reason that they could work like they did deliver a thousand babies in a year because they didn't have any child-rearing jobs and chores at home. Okay? Also, they were seasoned women past childbearing years. You need to hear this. And it says that he 
blessed them. That means he gave them households and families. It's understood in this culture that women without children were considered not to be blessed. Yet midwives were able to remove this stigma in part because they were part of the creation process. You see, they, maybe they couldn't have a baby, but let me tell you, I can help you have one. You see? So they were blessed. Let me get down here and help you bring forth life. I might not can, but let me help you bring forth life. Oh, that makes me want to run. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now, here's what's happening. Pharaoh attempts to kill all the male babies himself, his own people. Okay, I can't get them to do anything I'm commanding them to do, so I'm going to take this into my own hands. Because he knows they will do what he's saying. Amen? That's what he said. So watch this. God will always make a way out. Amen? He'll always make a way out. So the Hebrew midwives failed miserably. He stepped up his game. So the oppression against the Israelites, it deepened. The fire got hot. They were suffering. And oh, he was making a way out. Because while all this is going on, he's preparing a deliverer. Mm. So what's happening now? The verse transitions to the next chapter where Moses is saved by Pharaoh's own daughter. These chapters show us that the king's effort to destroy the strength of Israel, which was obviously a work of God, it failed over and over and over. And he's got this daughter. I can't get into that, but I wish I could. His own daughter. When you understand what took place, it opens up everything now. His own daughter. It's going to be God's way, period, period. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It only matters what Jehovah says. And God said, there's a deliverer coming your way. And the failure involved the efforts of women. Pharaoh never even considered to be a threat. He never considered them to be a threat. He thought they would simply bow down to authority that was ungodly. You better know who's squatting at your stool. Sometimes the folks that you do not consider to be a threat are the very ones that are cheering against you. And ladies, there are men squatting at your stool too. Can I say that? Well, 
be sure your midwives are standing with you through the pain, through the transition, through the stretching, through the messy birth. And then be sure they applause, they, they applaud upon delivery. That's how you'll know that the ones squatting at your stool are the ones that ought to be there. Amen. 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 Thanks again for tuning in to the Restoration Church Podcast. We pray that today's message has encouraged and empowered your journey in following Jesus. If you would like to learn more about Restoration Church, please visit our website by going to r4sq.org. We pray you have a great week. God bless.